I like to bring resources with me when I visit churches, and in this case my membership is at our church, and I've been working very hard at an item for next Saturday night, um, but I won't go into that right now. Well, oh my goodness, I really needed to uh, uh, focus on that a fair bit. Um, I want to let you know about some resources because I'm conscious that Christmas is coming and if stuff is on the table out there that may be a help. I've got one book, Discovering the Truth About Dinosaurs. There are a couple on that subject. There's uh, one on Christianity for Skeptics. I had a lot of fun with this one when we used to travel with the caravan and we camped in one place and I used to, my dear wife bought a little potbelly stove made out of an old gas bottle and I could sit on the stool and keep the fire going and cook the meal at the same time. And uh, the particular occasion, this guy wandered past and I picked up a fairly heavy European accent and uh, I said, are you from Europe? Yes. Germany? Yes. And I said, I have a, a leaflet in the caravan and I ran inside and got it and it was in German, a tract in German. And I said, this has been translated from English into German. I said, would you tell me whether it's a readable translation? Uh, some translations can be awkward. He was happy to do that. I went down to his caravan the next morning and said, g'day. And he said, I really liked it. How much? And I said, it is a gift. Uh, but he said, you do not understand. He said, I am a skeptic. I have lots of questions. I said, I know just the book. So I went back to the caravan after greeting him, picked this up. It's hard to walk unobtrusively through a caravan park with a bright red book, but I did. I gave it to him and I said, this is Christianity for skeptics. Oh! And I gave him my card with my mobile number on it and I said, if it raises some questions you want to ask me, please ring me up and I'm happy to talk. He rang four days later. He said, I'm halfway through the book and it's answered half of my questions already. Thank you. So testimony from real life passing on to somebody, Christianity for skeptics. You may know some teens or adults who fit into that category. There's also the best book I know on Noah's Ark, and I like this one particularly because I want the kids to get to know the size of the ark. Uh, they tend to forget with some of the pictures that we have, and so this book opens out the middle page so the kids can see just how large the vessel was. So there's a few copies of the true story of Noah's Ark. I've brought those along. And then for some who like to watch videos, this is called Evolution's Achilles Heel. When I was speaking with Travel with Creation Ministries in New South Wales, I was appointed to a particular hospital to be the speaker. The, one of the senior doctors there asked if I would speak on the creation issues for the staff and the town. What dismayed me was when I arrived, they had been told on staff that it was a seven o'clock meeting, but all the advertising in the town was 7.30. What do you do? So I put a chapter of this on, on um, the one about geo the geological column and all that, and the staff watched that from 7 to 7.30 before I got started. They bought out every copy that I had and ordered some more. So if any of you are interested in the different aspects of evolution and how modern science has challenged it effectively, uh, that's a resource you should know about. The other thing I will mention is that some years ago, or about two years ago particularly, I felt a nudge to put together a book on the stuff I wish that I'd learned in Bible college, the things that I've learned along the way. And uh, I 
decided to call it the things I wish they'd taught me in Bible college. But I thought that sounded a bit negative and so I ended up calling it You Can Make an Impact. And you know how when you cut up a pizza you can get different size slices? Every chapter of the book is fully self-contained. If you want to read the stuff about forgiveness, there is a chapter on forgiveness and that little slice is it. Um, there's another one on uh, small groups and that slice is it. So I have copies of that uh, for any of you who may be interested in that resource as well. Now I have a sad confession to make. I put in hours and hours to produce a handout for you. Isn't that exciting? And it's on my computer. That is really encouraging as well. And when I brought the memory stick with the PowerPoints, I forgot to put it on. So I am not a happy Vegemite, <laughs> but what I will do is I will email it so that you, those of you who are on email can receive it this afternoon sometime. If you are not on email and you would like a copy, um, we can photocopy it and post it to you because it will give you the summary of this morning's message because I'm going to cover a lot of material, okay? Um, the, my friends used to call it the condensed milk of the word. Okay, so that's where I want to go now and I'm going to move, whoever's handling that camera, I would like to move over to the side. Does that create a problem for somebody? Great. If I stand over here, uh, that lets you focus on that and I can point to the screen a little more readily. So what I want to look at in the study today, this first chapter, is what makes Christianity different from all of the other religions on the planet? And I was absolutely stunned when I realised how many headings there were. So how is Christianity different from other religions? Oh, have I got to turn this thing on? doesn't look like anything's happening. It's going, good. Okay, and so it's chapter one of my book, Making an Imp You Can Make an Impact. Uh, the first thing that makes Christianity different is that the founder is alive. What happened on Easter Sunday morning? Amen. He came magnificently back to life. <coughs> and so Christianity is a relationship with a living person. It is not about rules and codes of conduct. It's not about rituals and it's not about resolutions. It's about knowing him. Paul writes that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We generally leave out the next bit that says and the fellowship of his suffering, but that is also part of the journey. But knowing Christ is the essence of the faith. And Moses prayed the same thing back in Exodus 33. Let me know thy ways that I may know thee. So knowing God is of the essence of our faith. And isn't it exciting to know, I was in Hebrews in my devotions last week and I was reminded that the Lord Jesus ever lives to make intercession for his people. Do you realise Jesus is praying for us? I think that's a challenge when I think of how many people on the planet. Amen? So, he's alive and he's praying for us. But it's more than that. He is a personal God who shows compassion. And I want to tell you a very interesting story I dug up about a British conference on comparative religion and experts from all around the world were debating what's all the rumpus about when C.S. Lewis walked in and asked them because they were debating what was unique to Christianity 
And they looked at the other options, the Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish Covenant, the Muslim Code of Law. Uh, and Lewis came in and said, it's easy, it's all about grace. Guys, I'm really sorry that when I press this button, it's not happening as quickly as it should. I'm pressing, thank you. Oh, there you go, a marvellous. Righto, I want you to get this one. Lewis made the point that only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. God doesn't... Have I forgotten something? Oh, I will try that. I'll try anything right now, trust me. Um, but thank you, I thought I was doing that as well, but thank you, I will try. Righto. Lewis walks in, they're all discussing what makes Christianity different from the other religions on the planet, and C.S. Lewis said, it's easy, it's all about grace. Only Christianity makes God's love unconditional. You don't have to be good for God to love you. Is that encouraging? Amen. Wish you lot were a bit more caro. Could we try that again? Um, <laughs> you don't have to be good for God to love you. Amen. Thank you. One of my friends actually commented when I quipped on it. And I said, look, one of them said, look, I'm just so glad Jesus died on the cross so that God could start loving me. And I said, no, no, no. God has always loved you. The cross made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. But God's love was not an innovation at the cross. God has always loved us. And so only Christianity dares to make it unconditional. Everybody, does that include Dr. Dawkins? I pray for him that God will get him. He got past the Apostle Paul. <laughs> so I won't go there now. Where's that computer? Okay, the idea of a personal God who shows compassion, the cry for mercy is there clearly in the Psalms and the Prophets alongside of God's patience with rebellious Israel over the years. And then came Jesus, but God so loved the world. Don't miss it. It makes our faith quite unique in the correct sense of that word. I love the story of Nicodemus rocking up to Jesus at night. I think he wanted to get away from the crowd. What do you reckon? Pastor David had a ripper sermon on Nicodemus a few weeks ago. I enjoyed it enormously. But Jesus was busily cutting right through all the fluff. Teacher, we know that you came from God. No one could do your miracles without God. And Jesus goes straight through and says, you've got to be born again. <laughs> get with it son but I mean it was just beautiful the way in which Jesus expressed the truth that we have come to know so well God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life and eternal life is not just living forever it is a quality of life think about that so our concept of God is also vastly different from the other religions. I put a few up there. Um, there's the Buddha with the Eightfold Path, various tribal religions with their expressions, Baha'i with its attempt to combine them all, Islam with its limitations, and Hinduism. All of them have different concepts, but the idea of God as we find it in Scripture, the Bible reveals a very capable interested, loving and personal being who is greater than our scientific guesses 
but interested in the smallest bird. I found that totally fascinating. The scripture tells me that when even a sparrow falls to the ground, the Heavenly Father knows. He is that capable. Can I make that word up? But see, this little bird up here, he's flying. You just can't see his wings moving. A ditto over there. The smallest bird, the Father knows about it. I was fascinated to read that the very hairs of our head are numbered. Now, most of you look pretty right, but I've been losing ground for some time. They tell me the only way you can have a good head of hair at my age is to choose your grandparents very carefully. <laughs> so, uh, But God cares about what happens in our lives. Is that encouraging? Does God know those moments when we feel as if we don't know what to do and we don't really know quite what are the right words to pray? So, but another thing that makes our faith unique is that we are a people of the book. And uh, Solomon, when the temple was built in the Old Testament, the focus then became on the temple. So that over in Babylon, Daniel found out which way was the route across to, um, back to Jerusalem and opened the windows toward Jerusalem where the temple was. However, after the destruction of Jerusalem, which was a terrible, over a million Jews died in the, in the fall of Jerusalem under the Romans and similarly with the Babylonians. But after the fall, the Jews focused on their sacred writings. By the way, did you know that it was Christians who invented the book? Because they wanted to be able to find the places quicker and so pages were quicker to turn than unrolling a scroll and it was a lot more portable. And so uh, Christians became a people of the book. And, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated an anniversary of the Reformation. In 1521, Martin Luther stood before the German parliament and he was confronted with would he recant his writings and he said, unless you can convince me by scripture or plain reason, I cannot and I will not recant. My conscience is captive to the word of God. If you don't know the story, it's well worth reading. Um, no, uh, October 1521. So, And so the church has remembered, again after the Reformation, the importance of having an open Bible. I work hard at maintaining not only a pattern of devotions, but on Sundays my scripture reading for this morning was from 1 Peter. I was not reading for the sermon. I was reading to listen to God speak to my heart and encourage me in the journey. So, but then there is archaeology. Now, I much enjoy this business of reading a little bit about what the archaeologists have discovered. Ladies, did you know that if, you, um, if your husband is taking an interest in archaeology, the older you get, the more valuable you become? I'll let you reflect on it. <laughs> but the, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed the spelling and how well they had been copied. And they put the scrolls in jars like those up there. Those are some of the jars from the Dead Sea Scrolls and they hid them in caves high in the mountains and so it was very hard to locate. It was only when a, a lad was throwing a rock up into the cave in case there was one of his dad's goats up there 
that uh, he heard this smashing noise, found the jar had broken, pulled out the scroll and took it down to the marketplace in Tel Aviv. It's just an amazing story. I, I better not sidetrack into that. But um, did anybody notice uh, there's a, a spelling error on the page? Come on, where are all the school teachers besides me? Do you think my computer accepted that? No. But here's my question. If one of the scribes had made a spelling error like that, would you still know what the word was? Even if a couple of letters were out of order. So we can be reassured when they say 95% beyond any shadow of doubt, when you open your Bible, you are reading the words of God as they were brought to the prophets or through the prophets and the New Testament apostles uh, and so forth uh, without any shadow of doubt. And uh, I've mentioned Christianity for Skeptics. Uh, there are some very, very useful resources on the number of copies and I've also put some of that in my book as well. So archaeology supports the reliability of the New Testament scroll, but how many of you have heard of an ossuary? I think Ian probably has. Ossuary is where they put the bones of a significant person, sort of like after a crematorium, they put the ashes in a little box. They put some of the bones in the box and they called it an ossuary. And they have found one which says that it's James, the brother of Joseph, or James, now I've gone a blank, James, the... the Son of Joseph, brother of Joseph, the son of uh, brother Jesus of Nazareth is mentioned. Sorry, I've gone a blank on that. But the ossuary has been discovered. They took the discoverers to court, the Israeli Antiquity Authority, and the Antiquity Authority argue it was a forgery because it had all this, this powerful writing on the side. After several years and 9,000 pages of evidence, the judge advised the Antiquities Authority to drop the case. It was without question reliable. And here is the mention of Jesus, not in a scroll this time, but on an ossuary. There is also a fragment of John's Gospel, which they found in some manuscripts and scrolls that they'd taken to England from the Holy Land, from John chapter 18 and 19. And again, it lines up exactly with the Bible as we have it. But here's an interesting thought. If the students memorized all of the Old Testament, the if Jewish students, the disciples could have memorized much more than appears in all four Gospels put together and passed it on accurately. You reckon people would have remembered things Jesus said? You know, honestly, if Jesus came to Logan and we rock up to hear him, do you reckon you might make a few notes? You know, to tell your loved one when you got home? We can be sure that there was a reliable pool of information after Jesus had done three years of teaching. What's more, the stories fit every age. While the cultural setting is different, there's a touch of reality. David faces a giant. Do we face any giants today? The drug traffic, the liquor traffic, some corrupt politicians around the world. What do you reckon? Facing a giant, and here's the story of David. The tragedy of sexual sin, is that breaking people's hearts in our society? And scripture addresses that. Uh, Ruth being loyal to her mother-in-law and finding a husband and become the grandmother of Israel's greatest king. I love that. 
the Gospels speak hope. Jesus is seen as a real person facing the same issues we face today. Whatever you do, take time each day to read the scriptures to nourish that friendship and that walk with God. And the uniqueness of the scriptures, now the kids don't know, but most of the adults know what an, an anvil is. The blacksmith used to use that with his hammer and shape the metal when it got red hot on the anvil. One of the kings in France decided that he would destroy the Bible. He said, I'm thinking of getting rid of the Bible from France. And one of his courtiers came to him and said, Your Majesty, the Bible is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. It was written in three languages over 1,600 years by more than 40 authors from every walk of life on three continents in different moods on hundreds of controversial topics with consistent agreement. It is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. When you read the Word of God, it changes us. It has, it, it has a, an impact on who we are. How many of us remember Lindy Chamberlain in 1985 and the worst most dishonourable misjustice in our country's history. And little Azaria was taken from the tent by the dingo. But here's what uh, Lindy has to say about forgiveness. I've, this is quoted in my book in the chapter on forgiveness. A lot of people think that forgiveness is to make you feel better. It's to make the other feel, person feel better. I think it's all about you. When you stew about something somebody else has done wrong... You are renting them a room in your head and that is the most private space we have. Thank you, Lord. There we are. So we are not going to rent room in our head to somebody who did something cruel to us. Lindy Chamberlain, who, by the way, is an ardent fan of Creation Ministries. So... Vital decision. Here's what she says. You may have stolen my past, but the future is mine and God's. I unclench my fist. I give up the right to revenge. I determine to trust God to keep his word. Our vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And I accept the pain that they deserve, knowing that not to do so will mean more pain for, the, for me and those I love in the future. And instead, I will pray a blessing on the aggressor. Now, friends, you and I are living in a broken world and hurts come and they will continue to come till the end of life's journey. And we can go on stewing and letting that person who wronged us keep on damaging our lives or we can forgive and release. And one of the things that uh, I've encouraged people to do at camps particularly is make a little list of the hurts, forgive them and burn the list. But here's one of the great things. When God forgives, he forgets, which is a wonderful freedom for us. And, uh, oh, I won't, I won't go there just yet. When I was pastoring in Bundaberg, one of the unforgettable moments for me was a dear lady that was a part of the church, but her health was declining. I'd, I'd visited her in hospital, and uh, I remember visiting just before I came to Brisbane. And I said, how are you doing, Margaret? She said, I'm so worried. I said, what is your burden? She said, I'm, there was something that happened a long time ago that was very, very wrong. And she said, I'm worried that when I die, it might be brought out in front of everybody to see. 
I had a prayer with her. I came down to Brisbane, did my visits and so forth and drove back to Bundaberg. And when I returned, I made sure I got to her uh, bedside as soon as I could. And I said, I have a word for you. I said, in Jeremiah, God writes of a new covenant. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel uh, and, and with God's people, not like the one that he made, which they broke. But he said, in their new covenant, I will forgive their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. And I read it to Margaret in the hospital. I said, you may, whatever it is that's happened, I don't want to know, it's none of my business, but if you have confessed to God and he has forgiven you, he will remember it no more. It will not be raised on judgment day. And I can still remember, now it's a few years ago now, but she just sank back into the pillow and she said, thank you. And she was gone within 26 hours, 36 hours. But she went with a peace and a calm of knowing that when God forgives, he also forgets. Great news. Now I came across a story with Leonardo painting The Last Supper. And there was a painter in Italy at the time who had wronged Leonardo. And so Leonardo painted the man's picture in The Last Supper as Judas. And the various artists in the town who would come to admire the painting would be saying, oh, everybody's going to know. The trouble was Leonardo said he could not finish the painting. Could not finish the painting until he finally painted out that face and painted in a neutral face. And then he released the past and produced a masterpiece. Amen? Is that what God wants to do in our lives? To release the past for us and to produce a masterpiece in our lives? Now, I thought I would just pop in a couple of slides on Bible prophecy because uh, we're talking about the uniqueness of the Christian faith. And uh, I thought I would just choose one particular story, the story of Tyre. It was a, uh, a seaport on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, here's the story regarding Tyre. Nebuchadnezzar, it's prophesied by Ezekiel in chapter 26. You can read it at home. Nebuchadnezzar would destroy it, and he did in 573. It would be attacked by soldiers from many nations, and Alexander the Great destroyed it in 332 with an army he had recruited from the various nations of his empire. The debris would be thrown into the sea. It would never again be a centre for world trade or prosperous as it once was, and it would become a bare rock where fishermen would spread their nets over the site. Can you imagine a prophecy like that over a Bidney town like Sydney, making that kind of a prediction? Well, that's exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar arrived and destroyed the old town on the mainland. But there was an island off the coast, and they moved all their stuff over to the island, and uh, they moved in what they thought was safety. But uh, when Alexander the Great came, he wasn't going to be that easily defeated. And so what he did was he got his soldiers to sweep up all the debris from the destroyed old city, the walls, even sweeping up the dust off the streets. And they threw it into the ocean and they built a causeway across. Now, I got a satellite photo of it for today. And you can see there 
that's where Old Tyre was, just south of there. There's the island, and uh, the tides have filled in the soil, but it's exactly the way the Bible indicated in terms of the uh, causeway being solidified uh, with the debris from the old city, just as it was predicted. And I could have given you lots more, but I just thought if we're talking about the Bible as being unique, that's a pretty good start. So other prophecies extending to today, uh, do we have uh, pandemics and viruses running around the world? And do we have wars and rumours of wars and all sorts of political dictators and the like? All the signs are complete with current reminders of the virus, earthquakes and volcanoes, wars falling away, false teachers, rising fears, and Israel's survival and the gospel proclamation around the world by radio. It is an amazing world in which you and I are living. And what's the next great event in the Bible calendar? The return of the Lord Jesus. Anybody else looking forward to heaven five sides me? I can hardly wait. I tell you what. <laughs> but when Jesus comes back, it is going to be so exciting. And I suspect that most of us will live to see that happen. As I study history, I have no reason to think that it's not many years away. So, uh, the Christian view of suffering. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. The other religions explain everything and leave it just as it was before. This is a quote from a missionary to India, Martin, no, wrong name, Jones. Who's the other Methodist missionary to um, India? E. Stanley Jones. Here's his quote. The other religions explain everything and leave it just as it was before. Christianity explains very little, but it changes everything. You are not going to get, I am not going to get an explanation of life's disappointments this side of heaven. Amen? Lots of stuff's going to happen we don't understand. But what we do know for sure is Jesus is coming back and it will usher in a whole new chapter and I'm looking forward to it. Christianity explains very little but it changes everything. So... God is sovereign. Remember, God allowed Joseph's brothers to sell him as a slave, but one day he was the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's prime minister. And we can look back and say, we can give thanks in advance for the good that God will bring out of the very circumstances that cause us pain right now. That's relevant for all of us. My dear mother was in hospital for surgery more times than I care to remember. Just about without exception, when she'd come home, we'd say, hey, mum, who did you share the gospel with this time? She used to get opportunities to share her faith in the hospital. And, uh, you know, even the lash in Egypt made the Israelites willing to leave. Had it not been for the lash, I think they would have been happy to stay in Goshen. So, God was at work. All things working together, that's the world's worst ever airline disaster. 536 people perished in that crash. Oh, I came across another little reference. The guy who missed the plane was glad, but it was later in the day. What do you reckon? You think you might be glad when you hear about it that you weren't on that dumb aeroplane? But he could look back and recognise that God was at work. <coughs> we can give thanks in advance. God does not want anyone to be forced to embrace the faith. And... Um, now, here's one that I don't think I've ever read in a book, but it's sort of my grey matter chugs about this sort of thing. 
I, this one is specially for the ladies. Do you know that in most parts of the world, the bride, her husband is chosen for her by members of the family. But in the once Christian lands, the girl gets to say yes or no. The ladies, you might respond, how many of you would prefer the Christian system? Do you think we're ahead by options instead of... I wouldn't want to make that sort of a choice for my son. But you see, the church is described as the bride of Christ. And the bride has a chance to say yes or no to his inviting offer to become part of his forever family. And so the girl can say no in one's Christian lands. I think it's something for which we can be very thankful. We live in a very different world because of the gospel. Oh, I did mention, I, you might notice there, if I can go back, where did I get the right button here? Uh, one of the conditions of being part of the family of God is forgiving. I was glad that Hans led us in forgive, or was it um, Doug? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. By the way, the Greek, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. The Greek has the word have in there, the perfect tense. We are supposed to be doing that before we come to God asking for forgiveness. So, and there was the picture of the list to burn for sins. But then I want to touch on, I've realized this is a bit longer than I'd planned it to be. Um, there are divine fingerprints on the creation. Anybody ever wondered about the Trinity besides me? Tried to understand the Trinity? Let me offer you something that has helped me a great deal. I found this about 10 years ago, but I liked it, and it's made a lot of sense to me. Um, time. Think about it for a moment. We divide time into three categories, do we not? What do you reckon? Past and? Present and? Future. Are they the same? Well, they kind of are because they're all time, but they are distinct from each other. How am I doing? You can't have one without the other two. You can't have a present without a past and a future. Time reflects that dimension for God's triunity. There are three, and they're different, and yet they are the same. One plus one plus one may not make three. One multiplied by one multiplied by one is one. Secondly, it applies to time, but it also applies to distance. The latitude, longitude and altitude, again, it's something where the three are the same and yet they are distinct from each other. All are there or none is. And I could add, there's another one on the subject of matter. Ask me afterwards if you want to know about that one. So, there is a way in which the doctrine of the Trinity contributes to our journey. One, the father says, I belong in the family. Isn't that the role of the dad at a wedding? What does the Father say to the welcome to the family? The Heavenly Father, we're so glad we're part of the family of God. Number one, the Father says, I belong. Secondly, the Son says, I have value. He loved me enough to die for me. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit says, I can make it. I am not alone in my journey. The Spirit will enable me to make progress in the journey. We know the dove is gentle, but there is a power that comes with the Spirit that is awesome in the correct sense of that word. And people crave all three, belonging, 
value and enabling to make it. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. So what? This is a revision of the sermon and I'm ready to land. So people sometimes bring thermos and bickies when I'm preaching, so relax, you know. Uh, First of all, we have a God who is alive. Jesus is risen from the dead. Amen. Secondly, he is not silent. He has spoken in Scripture and we can trust the Bible's accuracy. Everything that happens in my life has a purpose. I don't understand that, but it is true. Everything that happens has a purpose within the sovereignty of God. More than that, our suffering is committed to refine and prepare us for the future. What we go through enables us to understand. uh, I'm young enough or old enough to remember the Vietnam War and when uh, our names went into the barrel and I was trying to decide, should I take a, a conscientious objector? I felt committed to call to ministry and yet... I could see the the reasons for the war. And I went to an old minister who'd been a chaplain to the diggers in World War I. And I said, tell me what it was like. Tell me how it felt. How did they make their decision? And I learned from somebody older than I. I am grateful for that. So our suffering enables us to be there for others. Further, saying thanks in advance for the good that's coming out lifts life's troubles. The man on the plane said thanks afterwards, who missed the plane, But we can say, Lord, I don't know why that's happened, but you're going to bring good out of it. And his forgiveness brings relief because he forgets. And we can forgive others, and sometimes we also need to forgive ourselves. And that is the last slide before the song. Uh, I should have offered you a word of... uh, Tab, come and rescue me, please. (laughs) Uh, We've got one slide I want to pop in when we pray at the end of the service, but uh, that completes the rest of the... I don't think there's another bit under there. A godly life is really possible. That's right.